lot of the things that uh, FPG The voice you hear is that of uh, a very recognizable voice of Miss Lula Bankhead, actress. You know, we're told time and again this is a drab world in which we live. That color is lacking, and this may be. If this is so, I think that uh, Lula Bankhead is even more valuable as a person, as an actress, than she might have been as a mother century. Colorfulness, vitality. Uh, she's in Chicago now at as Harriet Craig and George Kelly's uh, Pulitzer Prize winner some 35 years ago, 1925, the play. Harriet Craig. That's right. And I think of you, Miss. But Bank you rather awed me with your introduction. You probably put me, put me in the spot here because I wish they could have heard the brilliant things you were saying before we went on there, not about me, but just your own informative and uh, interesting mind. And now you've uh, paid me this uh, fulsome and, and very uh, beautiful <laughs> tribute. I, I don't know what to, to say at all. Now <laughs> I realize you're very kind, too. There was Bankhead, I was thinking to about... Lula, we settled that before we went on the air, I thought. Lula, thank you. I'm thinking about Harriet Craig, this role you play, and we'll come to you, Lula Bankhead, perhaps through the roles in a way in yourself. Harriet Craig, some people might say this is a dated play because it goes back some 35 years, and yet here is this woman, Harriet Craig, this cold, bloodless woman whose values seem so cockeyed. Would you say this play, because you chose this play, didn't you, for certain reasons. Would you say Harriet Craig is with us today? Well, I think that any uh, pathological character, which obviously she is, is with us all the days. When the centuries passed, uh, we didn't have psychiatrists, uh, we have never heard of the word of psychosomatic until the Second World War, at least I never had. And I think that she is a sick woman in the sense that we use the term today, that she's obsessed with her house, and even the character of Auntie Austin, who is uh, uh, Harriet Craig's husband's aunt, describes her as being a sick person that is so frightened of insecurities. This house is the only, her only form of security. And as they say in the, uh, as she also says, that people who live by themselves are usually left to themselves, which of course is eventually what happens. I don't think it matters if the audience knows what's happened in, the, in a play because of the way it does happen, because you can tell the plot of any play in about one minute, no matter how important or uh, lesser play you're talking about. But I think that Harriet Craig is, is, is just, uh, her background has been insecure, and, and this, this four walls of this house is all she has, and it's rather tragic. In fact, at the end, I think uh, people, uh, whether they're supposed to not feel rather sorry for her, you know, in spite of the fact that she's been so cruel and ruthless to other people, she is still a human being who's got such false values that it's pathetic, you know. There's several things you said here. You know, you, you talk, not fast, but you talk so fully, there are about four or five questions you've brought to my mind as you're talking. I'm afraid what, I talk very fast, no, I apologize beautiful. to the audience. <laughs> On the contrary, because you're, you're saying something each time. And there's several things I want to ask you. One thing at a time as it comes to my mind as you've been talking about Harriet Craig. You said something, a very pithy comment, I thought. You say people who live for themselves finally wind up being by themselves, as Harriet Craig did. That is actually a quote in the play. Now, Ted, this is my section across the room. Now, is that the exact quote, Ted? It's people who live to themselves, to Harriet, are generally left to themselves. Yes. Uh, I don't know whether you heard that on the air now, but he said uh, the people who live to themselves, Harriet. Are Harriet, are generally left to themselves. And that is in the, in the preface of the book. Like some books have a quote from Shakespeare for something that's actually a line out of context from the, from the play, you know. So then Harry, uh, Craig's wife very definitely is contemporary because certainly we have... Well, it's so extraordinary. Actually, I had an aunt that was very like that, only worse, I think. <laughs> She's dead, so I can say without hurting anybody's feelings. And, the, everyone, and it wasn't a blood aunt of mine, so I'm, uh, but uh, she was really very... Uh, well, Mrs. Craig, and uh, in the audience, uh, Ted and uh, friends of mine are people that come back stage. They hear it's become quite a saying, Craig's wife. I have a few friends that are something like that. I admire very much one who wants their home to be clean and attractive and, and what is this, cleanliness is next to godliness, but I mean, you can overdo anything, you know. I have a very nice home, but I also have dogs and animals, and you've got to kind of take a, a choice, you know, and children. Uh, and sometimes the chair isn't in order, it, huh? And it can't always be just the way it was when we first moved in, you know, so you certainly don't want to live for, for objects. The human element is much more live important. Live for objects, something you just said. Well, that's what you should not live for. Things are, are unimportant compared to the human spirit, surely. And that wonderful little porpoise that we're hearing so much about, that's my favorite thing. Have you been reading about that? No. Oh, now, my darling stuff. You, know, <laughs> you and your Peabody Ward and your brilliant mind, you haven't heard that the porpoise has a larger brain than man? No, I wasn't aware of that. I don't say that saying very much. Maybe that sounds like something out of Brisbane years ago. No, it's been in all the uh, weeklies and the, and the t papers. The, uh, they're using, experimenting with them in, in the submarine thing. They have a larger brain than man, and uh, they're quicker than we are. 
They don't war with each other either, do they? I, well, they, they, they laugh a lot, so how could they, they, <laughs> they have a sense of humor, you know? What about sense of humor? Since you're on it, I want to come back to you and another role that's on my mind. Uh, do you feel, because you are so imbued with humor and laughter, do you feel that this is lacking today in our time? We have less of it than we had, say, uh, at another time? Well, I think in, it's awfully difficult to generalize about anything. Yeah. One generation can't generalize no. about another. Everyone always says, oh, you should have seen, say, uh, Bernhardt or Duza. Because uh, I, I was lucky I did hear Caruso sing. And I, uh, frankly, when I was a child, I, I don't think there's ever been a voice like that. But then uh, uh, other people might think differently because they never heard him sing, you know? And of course, electronics now, they can make the voice. Maybe now his voice doesn't sound like it really was because the electronics went so marvelous. But I wouldn't dare say that one hasn't humor. I think everybody in the world has humor. It just depends on their own uh, sense of the ridiculous, you know. But I mean, are we exercising it, uh, this capacity, as much as we once upon a time? I think they're playing up so much the fear in the world, and of course, you just have to read the papers to know how pretty frightening things are. But they, they, they play up only one side of, uh, of, the, of the world today, which is, of course, in a very bad state, you know. And uh, uh, humor is supposed to be a, a great solace and help to everybody. If you can laugh at yourself, then you're pretty lucky, I think, don't you? Well, I was curious about you, your approach. But your I think humor is a, belongs to different nationalities. They have a different uh, perspective about it, just like art. Uh, certain nations are more appreciative of music than others. Certain nations have more appreciation of, uh, well, not, not only generally, but I mean, and, and personally, it's a very broad subject that I've gotten myself now much too involved in already, no, so not. get me no, off no. it. You're making sense, no? I'm afraid I'm not. <laughs> but you are. You see, there's something you said a moment ago here that I hadn't thought I of. I don't yet. want to seem frivolous, because humor has nothing to do with being frivolous. No. I, I like a great comedian. You know, all comedy, a farce, is based on tragic situations. Uh, the they clown. make one laugh, yes. The great clown. The clown. Chaplin, certainly. Well, he's the most uh, epitome of it, you know. What is sadder than the city lights or... or um, what's the thing times. about Christmas, uh, that when he was left alone at Christmas time up in, the, up in the Arctic or something? What was that called? The Gold Rush. The Gold Rush. The gold yes, rush. Yeah. And the kids. The with the the shoes. Kid, you know? So you laugh and you cry at the same time. Coming back to uh, the lady who has a humor, obviously, and yet understands the nature of it. Well, they say everyone says they have a sense of humor, they don't have one, so I'm not saying I no, have you one. No, I'm saying you have, <laughs> oh, well, thank as you. you obviously do. I'm saying you have, then, so we're even. <laughs> Coming back to Harriet Craig, this is interesting. You're Harriet Craig, and the role that I remember so vividly, you're Regina Hubbard Giddens. You've got the middle name there. I even yes. forgotten the middle <laughs> name. <laughs> thank you. Well, you came from that Hubbard family, pretty mm. rough family, uh, um, the little foxes. Do you feel a similarity between Harriet Craig and... They're both left alone at the end. Both are so strong, it seems both so scared at the end, aren't they? Well, you're so right. That is a similarity. Actually, this part is much harder than The Little Foxes because it's much longer and it's more kind of exposition. I mean, the actual part itself. People were amazed how short the part of Virginia was because she was always being talked about when she was off the stage and you always think she was coming on and the moment she'd come on, she'd cause trouble, you know? But as we are in Chicago, and you are a native Chicagoan, aren't you? Well, I was born in New York City, but oh, came here as a very well, small boy. Yes, because you remember her great ambition, Regina, was to go to Chicago. That's right. And there again, a rather lonely line when she was left in the end, through her own fault, naturally. She said, I wonder what's the best place to stay, you know? And people would come back to see me afterwards and say, what happened to Regina when she went to Chicago? And so Lillian Hellman, a very brilliant author, wrote the play, I thought very seriously of writing a, a sequel to it of really what happened to Regina with the same characters. Her brothers, you say, Ben yep. and Oscar, but instead she wrote a play 20 years Boy, prior of the, of the, the same forest. characters when they were in their youth, more or less. So I think she still got that play somewhere in her mind to write and see what happened to Regina That's in the 1900s, you know, when Chicago was so fascinating then, too. Wasn't that supposed to be quite the... What was that called, the gaslight era? The well, it was the, uh, I guess, guess the law about decade, that. but the yeah. but Chicago you talk about is very... <coughs> it's interesting that Regina wanted to come to Chicago. Yes, not New York. Not, not New York, Paris. not San Francisco, but Chicago, yeah. because the Chicago woman at that time, early yeah. part of the century, was a remarkable woman. It made Mrs. Mrs. Potter Palmer, oh, friends of Jane Addams, you see. Oh, they yeah, were I involved. And I knew the Palmer boys, I think. A couple of the, I think they must be the same family. So Regina mm -hmm. wanted to come to Chicago. Is the best. But back to Regina again. Oh, it's something you mentioned. Is, uh, do you know anything about... This is a, a twist, really. She wrote the prelude to The Little Foxes, yes. another part of the forest, after that. But she never really finished... What happened to Regina, people still ask. No, she never did that, and uh, maybe she'll get around to it What do you day. think? 
Well, I, I would know not being an author, I would have loved to, for her to have but written being it a and remarkable played it and continued the part, you know, because it was a wonderful, wonderful character as they were. Everyone was so wonderful in the play, and from the general public point of view, they were completely unknown. They had had a great deal of experience. I mean, for instance, you mentioned Carl Benton Reed a, a little while ago. He played the part of Oscar, and he played the really mean, humorless one, and he was one of the nicest guys that ever lived. And he'd been a very distinguished leading man in Cleveland for years. You remember when he was having you know, the stock companies all and all these big key cities that ran the whole year round. And uh, Charles, uh, Dingle. Uh, Charles Dingle, yeah, he's dead now. Yes. And uh, uh, Dan Durier made his name in it, playing Leo, the, the, the his son. And uh, um, well, I you know me at names, right. but I mean they were all so yeah. no. She she played in the That's film. That's right, wasn't it? A, a, a girl called Eugenie Rawls, who I'm the. I'm the godmother of her two children. One is named after me, Brockman being my middle name. And she played the daughter. Frank Conroy. Frank Conroy sure. played my husband in it. And um, a very uh, a f wonderful, fine uh, actress played uh, uh, Addie. Addie. And uh, um, uh, I've forgotten, I'm trying to think, who played the birdie was a very pitiful kind Patricia of Patricia Collins. Patricia Collins. Do you know what she originally created in, in America? She's an Irish girl, you know, and she's brilliantly witty. She's written quite a few very fascinating stories for the New Yorker. And you know, they don't accept but the very best. They, they vary at times, and, but I mean, it's a, it, the standard is pretty high all the time. She created Pollyanna, you know, in this country. Wasn't that was the first uh, place she made a, her big name in. So she was, of course, well known uh, in the play to the to the uh, more or less New York public, you know. But here are two two Souths, it seems. You are from the South. Uh, here, uh, it seems as though Hellman painted two pictures out through these two women, the very well, she's gentle... she's from the South. Helen's from Alabama, too. Who is Lenny Hellman is? Yes. Well, I wasn't aware of and that. And they moved to, she met then after family moved Cincinnati. to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. New Orleans. I'm thinking of, of now Regina, the role you played. Yes. The strong, predatory figure, and little Bertie. And yes. as though they represented, even through these two women, two different faces of the South, really. The gentle, Bertie was genteel. supposed to re uh, represent the last of the, what yes. they call the antebellum kind of yes. uh, frail and helpless kind of creature that was, uh, well, they weren't. That, that, that character existed, whether it be in the south or the north or in Europe or anywhere, you have the strong and you have the weak, you know, the ruthless, and then yes. you have the, uh, those that need to be protected yeah. and those that to protect one. Well, beware the little foxes yeah. who will gnaw away at our Yeah, from the Bible, that tender uh, grapes. Dorothy Parker well, our lines of tender time. grapes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Coming back now to Lola Bankhead, and here's perhaps oh, a, dear. a key <laughs> it's question. It's always an ominous sound. No, no, not, <laughs> not at all. We think of you, this is a problem that's involved here because of your so many facets. There's Tallulah Bankhead, the personality. We, Tallulah, you know, yeah. and people immediately have an image of a laughing girl. You see, Tallulah, you know, with a wit and bite and sometimes a sarcasm. And then there's Lula Bankhead, the actress, who is Harriet Craig or Regina or, or the heroine of Private Lives. Is this a problem for you when you face an audience? What are they expecting from you? Well, I, I really don't know. You, you find yourself, when you're in a comedy, they say, oh, Tallulah, when are you going to do a dramatic part? When you're a dramatic part, oh, when are you going to do a comedy? I don't know whether you can ever please anybody all the time or everybody all the time, any time, rather. And uh, I don't think any actor, I don't like the word actress or poetess or authoress. I say actor or you know, I don't think uh, any actor or anybody in the public eye can completely uh, uh, lose that own personality. You have to bring part of, say, I happen to be Tula Bankhead. I have to bring part of that to whatever I play. Uh, whether, whether they like it or not, I think very often a strong personality antagonizes sometimes as much as it attracts. You know what I mean? And if you sometimes you have over-enthusiastic um, Admirers, it, it rather annoys people that don't admire you that much, and they don't see why. So there's always a uh, uh, a controversy going on about someone with the that applies, of course, to any uh, statesman or politicians or uh, preachers or lawyers who try, you know, uh, anyone in the public eye. But uh, I, uh, I I always uh, uh, you're lucky if you get a good play, and you're lucky if you if you get a good director. Uh, which is all, everything is easy if everyone is good around you. And I will say this, I think we've got a wonderful cast in this place where they're all very experienced and fine actors and darling people. And I'm not saying it just to be polyamorous, but I really think so sincerely. And of course, these things are done rather quickly at summer theater. You don't have the same rehearsals you would in a, you know. And I was all set to be rehearsing in a play that I'm supposed to be playing right now in California, which I'm going to do as soon as I finish this I was coming tour. To a play by Mary Chase, who wrote Harbor, you know, called Midgey Purvis. Purvis. And so when I finish this, I have four more weeks now 
not counting uh, four more. Well, how much? How many Ted's? We have three more weeks. Three more weeks uh, uh, after this week. Uh, this is the we'll make it four weeks. The week we're playing now, and then I start rehearsals immediately for uh, Major Purvis. And they couldn't be more different the parts. They're is it, so different. Is it premature to ask you about Midgey Purvis? No, not a bit. It's been in all the papers. I was, I was, I was announcing. You mean I the was, nature of the play? No, I, 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 it's hard for me to explain except the, the character. By the way, I was reading it last night at Ted. I hadn't read it for quite a few weeks, you know. And Mary has, there's, there's quite a lot of new stuff in it that's very amusing. Good. Well, it's, uh, it's awfully difficult to explain that a, a character, particularly a character about Mary Chase, because she's wild, you know, way out. When we and think of Edward Dowd, yes. uh, and uh, this is a, a woman who um, I, I wish I could explain it better, but I do think it has a, a, an appeal for men and women, because women I think have uh, they have they drag their poor wretched men to come and see something they want to see. So you really the women are predominant, <laughs> and, and I'll ask but you if, about if that they later. please them both, that's all the good. This is a woman who has a, theo- a, f- a philosophy rather, or an idea that only the very young, really children. I don't mean teenagers, but I mean children, and the very old that people uh, pay attention to or are, are considerate of and are helpful with, you know, and she thinks to skip this dreary middle age business, you know, and so she pretends to be a very old woman, and she babysits with these children, and it's all comedy, and it has some touching moments, too, and of course, the, I think the point is that Midget has not grown up herself. She's really younger than the kids that she babysits for, you know. She goes around, and she's very wealthy, rich, and she goes around in old uh, bedroom slippers, and of course, she, at the end, she gets her mink coat on again and uh, fusses herself up, as they say in the South, you know. But uh, it's hard to explain a play. Well, Midget has her about. world of fantasies. Yes, yeah, she's. Uh-huh. A, uh, um, but it's, it's real. It doesn't take place in a dream. I no, mean, no, it no. Is, but she it herself. Is. She herself has her own. You're Midgey, I take it. Oh, yes, yes I'm Midgey. <laughs> and um, she has a son that uh, she, I, I think she couldn't bear the son to grow up. That's the problem. That, that's what uh, she couldn't accept quite, you know. The son has grown up and married, and that, that's when she leaves the home and goes and pretends to. In fact, the family thinks she's away uh, uh, in California at some very grand resort of some kind, and really she's in the same town. Uh, Dressed up as a little lady and trying to be, and uh, even her own uh, children, a child doesn't recognize her, you know. So Midgey's sort of a, a raffish figure. She has her humor too. Oh she, yes, because yeah, when she's left alone, she takes off her hat. She's only had her hair dyed white to the where the hat comes to, you know. <laughs> and when she's with the children, she talks just perfectly naturally. But when she's an usher is going to give her a seat before he gives anybody else a seat in a movie, <laughs> she she pretends to be very old lady, you know. I haven't tried out yet. I'm going to do the part, but I imagine <laughs> I, I'm not quite 75, and I think that's what she's supposed to pretend to be, you know. But throughout, if I follow you correctly, Midgey has a spirit of youth in her. Youth oh, yes, and with the youth. children, she uh, she's just herself, and, and she treats children like grown-ups. And with the grown-ups uh, that don't know who she is, of course, her husband's in on it, and he's a darling character. And uh, she uh, she pretends to be very helpless and kind of uh, pathetic, you know. And really, she's just as sturdy and strong as an ox, really. Well, when does she just m- wants to be spoiled. She 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 wants to be spoiled like children are and and, and petted, you know. Well, you sound you think you'll be a marvelous midgey. Oh well, I I love the the character. I hope I'll be good in it. I Who, hope. Who's so. your director? Uh, uh, Jose Ferrer. Jose Ferrer is under. <laughs> yes, and he's crazy about it, and Mary's crazy about him, and Mary's crazy about me, and it's all a very happy family. Well, that sounds. When uh, this is due. Uh, well, we open in New York on October the 14th. We have we go to uh, uh, Boston for two weeks, and then to, to Washington for two weeks uh, as what they call a tryout, you know, to get any kinks out of it and see if we can anything that's not as good as it can be to get to get it right. And then we're supposed to open New York the 14th of October. This sounds like a beautiful And of course, challenge. I hope to bring it here naturally. Of course. Uh, before we forget, uh, uh, Midgey Purvis, I, I, I have a hunch it will be marvelous. Uh, but uh, we better make it clear that, that Craig's wife is here oh, for yes, another yes. week at the Edgewater Beach Playhouse. Well, thank I you. Mean, yes, we hear, we're there. There's one more week. Here. We play Sunday nights, too. And Sunday nights, too. And we too. play two, ni- two performances on Saturday. We play night performances at 7 o'clock. And uh, then the next yeah. performance at 10. And to play this play twice running like that, it's really like a I relay imagine, race, you I know, because it's it a is. very it's, uh, uh, tough part. You, mm-hmm. you have to pretty much keep in shape. Yeah. You have to rest, too, of course. Well, I never rest. You, you never know, do. I know I, this is an academic yeah. comment I make. You, like you, I, you never uh, can rest. This is really this. rather a hard part, but I prefer to have those performances go one, two, three like that than have a matinee and have that two hours and a half yeah, to yeah. wait, because you can't really relax 
until the whole your day's work is over or your night's work is over. Because you feel pretty good when you're high then. I mean, you're high in spirit, that is. And, and well, yes, so you've got you go momentum the going the then, momentum you know, is and there. you keep... That's what I find difficult in TV, the technical problems that this have to be done. I think yeah. the genius of TV or radio, this matter, the, the boys like over there and the technical problems and the, the yeah. camera shots and all I the things that I'm so ignorant about, you know. No, this but is so... The comment you're making now is so important because it's a discovery I made yesterday of accident, a little part in the movie, but in TV and films, the technician is the king. That is, in a play, you go right through. They the should movie. get 90% of the credit and 90% of the blame. Yeah. But on the stage, I think yeah. the actors have to carry more of a load than that. They can, should take more blame and more credit, maybe. What about this element of the flesh and blood audience in front of you, in contrast to Well, whatever say, to I TV. say about that would certainly sound by now because no, it's been please. said more often than better than I. But I don't think you'll ever lose a contact. I, I don't think the, the theater, the fabulous inward, as they call it, will ever lose oh. its quality of re-seeing the person right there at the time, you know? I want to ask you about that. I mean, with this tape, uh, which has been a godsend to a lot of people from the point of view of uh, hours and time, but <coughs> so many of the critics, and I'm sure it's been the same here in Chicago, have said it isn't quite the same thing when you know that they're there and live at the moment. Even if something goes wrong, there's a sign of a, a feeling of... of uh, I don't mean the tension in the wrong way, but that you're seeing, seeing something happen while it's happening, you know. And that's what happens yeah. on the stage. Of course, you are playing a character, unless you're uh, in a nightclub or yes. something yeah. where you're playing with. But uh, you are seeing really something happening when the people are there. Yes. And if yes. something goes wrong like that windstorm the other night, which I shouldn't mention, I suppose. Go ahead, that's We all got right. through that, yeah. though, all right. And right. the audience were marvelous. You know, I think the audience is a terribly. A sympathique, as they say in French, which is, it isn't quite the same thing. It's literal translation is sympathetic, no, but, no but I mean, it, they're very tolerant and understanding. They think things are going wrong. Now, they were being blown to bits in that mm -hmm. tent as the actors were on the chandelier was swinging like mad, you know? And they were probably thinking the poor actor's going to be hit on the head or something. But they sat in their seats and we shouted our lungs out and they were mm -hmm. perfectly wonderful. And I think they're always so kind and tolerant if they think anything goes wrong. Even if they're a serious play, anything can go wrong. I mean, but a, an accident uh, that happens, and you let the audience in on it, and don't make them nervous. Yeah. They'll come right back with you, and and, and uh, but don't try to keep anything from them. You know, they don't become part of your world. Yes, they 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 uh, they know that uh, uh, that something maybe has gone wrong. There's no good trying to cover it up. Sometimes you can cover up little slight things. I've been in plays, but it seems almost everything has gone wrong. Through no fault of the audience or the play, but I mean just physical things, uh, things that have, like the letter wasn't there, the gun didn't go off, yeah. the phone didn't ring, the door stuck, uh, technical things like that. And people come back and I said, oh, goodness gracious, what were you doing out there tonight? So they said, why, what, was, what happened, what was the matter? I said, well, everything happened and they didn't notice it at all because they weren't familiar with it and they didn't know that yes. something wasn't supposed to happen. Well, the performer is the, always more conscious. Oh, but the actor uh, thinks yeah. the world is coming to an end. If they just hear this second pause yeah. of, the, of the bell doesn't ring or something, they get in that panic, but which, of course, you're, through your years of experience, you, sh you should cover up, you know. So touch wood and I'm doing it. We've been very lucky up to now with Craig's wife. Everything has gone pretty smoothly. I'm going to ask you something about you being aware of audience always there. Opening night and I was there and I saw you and I was quite moved by your performance. Thank you. Now you got uh, quite an ovation from the audience when you appeared. Now I'm thinking about you now. What were you at that moment, you see? Uh, this happens in theater. Uh, the star comes out and gets an ovation. In your instance, it was quite overwhelming. Uh, you paused. You were aware, of course. Did this... Your next line, I forgot what your first line was following that. Well, it's just but my it seemed to have a Zoba catapulted, you know? Well, I try, which I don't know whether I succeed on the opening night here, is to stay in character. You still, yes. uh, when an audience is giving you, as you say, it was a beautiful uh, reception they gave me, uh, you, you don't want to step out of the character you're playing. At the same time, you don't want them to be impolite or discourteous and not let them know. So I try to stay in the character and keep talking through the applause to the character on the stage, which is the girl, Ethel. And at the same time, when they go on, on just a slightly bow my head and, and a smile, but not out front, not to what that fourth wall, which the audience is supposed to be, the yeah. curtain. Mm -hmm. When the curtain goes up, that's the fourth wall of a room, you know? But uh, I, I think that uh, it's different, as I say, if you're in vaudeville or if you're in a nightclub or something where you can come on, you're receptive, you can kind of bow and thank you, like you do at the end of a play when the curtain calls come, and then they're applauding your performance. Then you bow directly to the audience and smile and uh, and thank them in your mind. You don't thank them, actually. But uh, you were still Harriet Craig. Well, I try to be because, after all, that's my first entrance, and you've got to... And, and Harriet Craig is not really very much like me. No, as, no, as a, as, a, as a human being. I'm sure know. she's the opposite of you. <laughs> okay. I think perhaps uh, in case some of the members of the audience are not aware of the nature of this play, just uh, not a plot, but Harriet Craig... 
uh, you find in any community, I imagine anywhere in the world, though this was written in 1925 by George And Kelly. a Pulitzer Prize play. And a Pulitzer and Prize it play. holds up, I think, usually. We, uh, we, we've cut a few things, and we, uh, like, uh, for instance, uh, well, the expression hat rack one doesn't hear very often now. Hat There's rack. a line where, in the script, we go and see if his hat's yeah. on, uh, on the hat rack. Ah. But instead, I just say, see if his hat's out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, of course, dates have been changed. For instance, the, the, the widow, Mrs. Frazier, her husband's been dead 10 years. So she has to say the date of 10 years from 1960 as opposed to 10 years from 1925. Uh, but George Kelly writes so naturalistically, you know, I mean, there's the dialogue is like the way people talk in real life. And therefore, it's not dated from that point of view, as, as some people. You know George are. Kelly? Oh, yes, I adore George Kelly. He's one of my dearest friends. I played in another play of his called Reflected Glory. Reflected Glory. In fact, that's the first time I appeared in Chicago. Yes, was Reflected Glory. One. And uh, he's a wonderful man. He something wrote the show off to a very good I was just about to say something he does that's uh, powerful. In, just as he exposed a blowhard Aubrey. Piper in, in the, the show, show off. off yeah. He goes in the other direction entirely with Harriet Craig, a whole different world, and yet. And in Reflected friends. Glory, was the part I played, he had, it was about an actress. <coughs> and uh, um, she was a, supposed to have been a very great artist, but rather silly woman. Her art was greater than the human being. And she was always saying she wanted to retire and things like that. And George is, you know, he was a great actor himself, you know, he was well, a great headliner in Bodeville, oh, yes. Bob Benson said he was the greatest actor he ever saw. Really? Was, yes. And uh, his brother was a very great actor. Is he the Walter too. Kelly? No, no, that was his brother, yeah. the Virginia Judge. Was I mean, his brother. Was, that, was that related? Is he related to him, the Virginia his Judge? His brother, yes. I uh, wasn't aware of that. And of course, he's the uncle of, uh, of Grace, uh, Grace. And uh, um, he's abroad now, as a matter of fact. I just got him on the wing just before because I just decided to do this about a week before I started to get. And he was going abroad. And. Uh, uh, so I did have that talk with him because he lives in California most of the time, but now he's moved back east again. And so I'll see a great deal more of him. I'm so glad because he's a wonderful uh, conversationist. He, I can do this. I talk a blue streak and probably very boring to you right now. On the contrary. George, <laughs> oh, no, you know George that's not so. George is the most fascinating uh, conversationist on all kinds of subjects. Now, he would, uh, like my porpoise that I'm telling you about, the dolphin, you know, on any, any subject that, that, that is interesting. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to, to underrate uh, some of the uh, established playwrights. Playwrights, this is not their <coughs> era, perhaps, and yet they, we tend to now underrate an O'Neill or a George Kelly, and yet a play of that. But you know, I don't think that George Kelly is underrated because I've heard uh, Sam Berman say that he saw one of his lesser or minor plays. I've got with Daisy Mame or Mag the Magnificent, uh, a plays I didn't see but written. No, Berman play. doesn't underrate. No. I'm talking now about some of the younger actors who might you see. Who underrate authors? Well, I think uh, they're no, very stupid if they uh, do. Of of uh, of another say uh, era. I had I have a very great friend that I've known since I was 16, and she was quite a big star when I first came on the stage, and she's still playing. And you've probably now obviously heard of her, and maybe seen it. Estelle Winwood, and she started the Liverpool. Marvelous. Yes, isn't she wonderful? The last time she, she was a mad Liverpool, woman of yes, of show here. The Liverpool repertoire in England was quite a famous rep during its time. And she told me that she'd been very lucky because she always had a good author to lean on. In those days, she played in Shaw's plays and Barry's and Mom's and Granville Barker's and uh, all of the... And Stella Winwood has a fantastic fake quality. Yes. Mm, beautiful. Now, she's playing in a revival now of a play that I did years ago, too, called The Circle. She's playing the, uh, the other part, and yet she, she created the, the, the other part that I played later on. It's Sur been revived. Somerset Mom. Somerset yeah, Mom, The Circle, yes. And that's a very witty, amusing play. She's playing there... She's playing in Pasadena, California. I'm, I'm thinking now of Tallulah Bank. Could, could we go back a little to... to you can go back as far as you yeah. want. That's probably back to Methuselah as far no, as No, 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 no. I'm thinking about <laughs> you. When you first... This is... I don't mean to be... When did you have the yen to be... This is silly. You've been asking me to be an actress. The yen. You always, I suppose, as a little kid. Acted. Well, do you, do I'm, I, I don't know whether I was glad I had the yen or not, but before we went on the air, we were talking about... Uh, but when I saw the theater a lot in Washington, you know, when yeah. I was in school there, in New York when I was in school. But actually, the first thing I saw, and this was uh, in Alabama, where my, I was born, where I come from, were little uh, fairs, you know, and uh, I, I saw a woman jump out of a parachute, you know, with, with her umbrella, and I went home and grabbed my grandmother's little purple parasol and jumped out of the hayloft <laughs> and broke the coccyx of my spine, oh. and I learned to turn cartwheels and stand on my head. So I think I was going to be an aerialist or something when I was about four or five years old. Mm -hmm. And then as I got a bit older, they would take me to see plays. Uh, and I suppose I just uh, 
got crushes on the uh, on the actors on the stage, mm -hmm. and like a fool, I went on the stage myself. Mm -hmm. And here I am. <laughs> yeah, it's marvelous. Uh, you see, you did you take did we, we did you engage in some training of sorts? Never, never. Played leading part on Broadway, my first part on the stage. Just that bad. Sixteen went years there. old. It was there. Yeah. Oh, you know, I don't know. It was there, but I was lucky. My aunt Louise, who was chaperoning me, took me uh, to New York, and they thought, well, we'll let her have a try at it. She won't to last very long. I'd won a beauty contest, believe it or not. I sent my picture into a movie magazine picture play about the family knowing it, and. Uh, I didn't know how to do it, so I didn't put my name and address on the picture. So when it finally came out after about six months, e each month they'd had you know possibilities. It said, "Who is she?" Mm -hmm. So after that, there was a family confab, and they had to let me at least try it, you know. So Aunt Louise had was there objection, family objection, to, to your going well, on the stage? Well, my grandmother, who I was named after, didn't want mm -hmm. me to go on the stage. She wanted me to be near her. But I, my the, my father, he'd want to be an actor himself, and my grandfather was a darling. He underwrote the whole thing, you well, might isn't say. Isn't there a very narrow line between a political figure and Well, an that's actor. what he said, it carrying on the bank, as <laughs> my granddaddy said. But uh, Aunt Louise is looking for a reasonable hotel, because uh, found the, uh, went to the Algonquin, not knowing at all that that was the, uh, the mecca, the, the place where all the great uh, stars and writers and, and critics were. And so I just uh, kind of met them. Uh, the first day I was in New York, I was kind of knew everybody that one would take years to know if you'd spend a letter of introduction, you know. I think this is what Claudia Cassidy meant, a very, what I felt very moving, if I, I brought it with me here, a very moving paragraph about you in her Sunday column. I think this is what she meant about you. You went on the stage and there you were. If I may just read this and hear your comment about this. In the theater as elsewhere, there are the prodigal and, and the diligent, who sometimes remind me of the fortune teller's gambit. Your left hand is what you're born with, but the right is what you make of it. Now, some of the diligent, theater-wise, have more in the right hand than the left. The prodigal, well, there have been times notable in the little foxes and the skin of our teeth, and I haven't mentioned that yet, when Miss Bankhead told the world in spectacular spades what the left hand holds. I remember reading that when I got in. I thought it was beautifully written. But I've forgotten now. What, what are you born with? I thought the left hand is the dreamer. That's right. And that is what you're born, you're born with? Well, I think she was very much you yourself. You yeah. say you without training. Yes. Bam, there it I was. I know. She writes beautifully, Claudia Castro. And I think very perceptibly and, uh, in this particular instance. And often. And what she, about she this? She loves music more than the world, though, doesn't she? I mean, that's her favorite thing is music, isn't well, it? Well, theater, too. Music yeah. and theater. I, I, I respect oh, her. Oh, I, I had the pleasure of meeting her when I was uh, here. In, uh, in, uh, and she was wonderful to me in Little Foxes. Uh, Practically every Sunday, she was then writing on the uh, not on the Tribune then. It was Journal of the, Commerce. The Journal of Commerce, yes. And uh, um, I think she's a, a, what you call a dedicated person. She certainly. Uh, I think any good critic gets annoyed if they don't find things just uh, as good as they can be. I think a good critic has to be really stage struck and also be angry when things are not as right as they expect them to be. You know. While, while you're here, Kalola, perhaps it should be said to you. You may be aware of this that often you're told that a lot of plays avoid Chicago because of critics, and they mean specifically Claudia Cassidy. I think one of her, not burdens, but one of the ideas she has in mind is for good theater and sh when shoddy companies are sent here on occasion, second, third companies. And she objects. Well, I don't think it's Chicago. I think it's every place. You find the yeah. same the same thing in Boston or Philadelphia or Washington or San Francisco. If you get a shoddy, or, 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 of course, their yeah. personal likes and dislikes, and one cannot help. One's mm -hmm. personality cannot appeal to everyone in the same proportion, the same way they can't antagonize or no one in the same proportion. But I mean, I think anyone who uh, has a job that they've got to, uh, to convey to thousands of people, and nowadays the theater is so expensive and the production is so expensive. Right. I remember we, we, we just had a, we made uh, Brooks Atkinson, who retired from the time, the lifetime member of Equity, and I was there that day while we were rehearsing, actually, this play. And he has, uh, but he felt, I think, it was a terrible responsibility, one saying that he could have such power over other people's investments and things. But after all, one must be honest and say what you think and believe. I don't think one has to agree with any critic. No. I know I have very, I, when I hear plays raved about it, I've sometimes seen them, I haven't liked them at all. Right. And plays that I have, Heard one good, I've enjoyed very much. But maybe that's because I wasn't expecting anything. I'm very rarely like a hit play because I'm expecting too much. Yeah. I think I'm, I want the world and I don't get it. But that, uh, uh, I think that uh, most critics of standing and who've lasted that long, like the very well-known ones, I won't go into all their names, yeah. like Miss Cassidy in, in San Francisco, Washington, Boston, they, uh, uh, they uh, are absolutely uh, honorable in what they say and they would like to like, the, uh, like things. No one wants to... Uh, 
go and uh, deliberately. I'm, sure I'm sure that, I'm that, sure that if they don't, they, they, they say so. The first obligation is to one's Well, then own people sense have different tastes. Taste. It, 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 right. uh, I'm not uh, I'm not criticizing one way or the other. I know if I had to write a criticism, I don't think there'd be many hit plays at all, because frankly, <laughs> it bores me to tears in the theater, you know? Well, the you say theater bores you to tears? Well, I, I'm, I'm lazy. I'd like to have more room in the theater. You know, I'd like to be able to smoke and uh, relax and... Uh, I don't, and those intervals, intermissions bore me, you know. I'd like her to go straight on. Are you talking now as a theater goer or as an actress? I don't go to the theater. As an you don't go to the theater? No. Well, tell us about when you... I read. You read the plays? And no, 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 I can't bear you. Yeah. No, I, I read and I watch these, all these political things and, and, and TV and I, I play bridge and, and I like... Uh, my giants and uh, you say you like your giants. I mean, this is. I love my giants. That's <laughs> an understatement. I think this is a comment that, if we may, for the WFMT audience, some of them may not be baseball fans. This is more than baseball. It's a matter of a outlook. Uh, in New York City, once there were three teams. There were the Brooklyn Dodgers, Yankees, and the Giants. But it's my fault that they're the Giants are no longer there, and the likes of me because I would stay and watch it on TV instead of going to the ballpark because I live in the country. But the time I got there, it'd be three or four hours out of my day in my life. Then I'd scream and yell and get laryngitis if I had to play in the theater. That's the worst thing. It's Did called you know an John actor's McGraw? nightmare. Did you know John McGraw? <coughs> no, now you really are dating me. No, 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 no. I meant as a little, go back as a little girl, I mean. Did no, you know no, 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 of course not. No, <laughs> actually, I never became a, a giant fan, a baseball fan for that matter, until uh, I was in the Little Foxes, actually. I was in England for eight years, and I was a great tennis fan. I used to adore Bill Tilden and... Frank Hunt and Frank Vincent Shields Richards. and the American, yes, you know, and the, and, the, and the French ones too, they were marvelous, Barotra and uh, Cachet and uh, Lacoste, and uh, it was a wonderful game, I think, tennis, and then I took up the, my baseball, and of course, San Francisco I love, so I didn't mind too much. I was about that. to say, do, are you still a giant fan, a little Oh, yes, shifted? of course, I'll yeah. always be a giant fan, that divine Willie Mays. Well, there's no one like it. He, he's from Alabama too. This is interesting. Here's a, a player, if we may just uh, come back to theater. Here's a great craftsman, obviously, Willie Mays. I mean, oh, he's a no genius, yeah. I think. He's a, a great, uh, 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 one of our great baseball uh, uh, sports critics. Uh, of course, I won't be able to name that because it's so awful. Oh, he wrote on the... Uh, Red Smith? Oh, he's great, too, for the Tribune. No, I don't think I'm in New York. Tribune. No, um, well, for 50 years, he was, a, he was a, from uh, St. Louis, so he was really a Cardinal fan. He was Spink? No, no, you know so well, well isn't it stupid? No. I can't think of no. anything. But he said that, and he'd seen them all, all over 50 years, you can this imagine. This calls for Bill Leonard. Now. But he said that, uh, uh, he wrote in the Journal of American in New York, I don't know how far he was syndicated. Uh, Corum, he, Bill Corum. Bill Corum, Bill thank Corum. you, that's right. Kentucky he said Derby of all the, um, all the uh, baseball players he'd ever seen, and if he never saw another, the, Willie Mays was the greatest all-round baseball player of all that he'd ever seen, and he'd seen them right back when Babe Ruth and all. There's in a, every department. This is a very funny thing, a very point you, uh, you're raising here. Can, this can lead back to many things. Uh, sometimes we romanticize the past, you know, and we say there are no players today, this could be no actresses today either, actors like there were in the past, and so we say an all-American, all-time outfield, you say Cobb automatically, Speaker Ruth, you know. And, now they and were before, not course. before my time. Yeah. I don't want to no, say. No, no, no. What I'm but saying is that in our time, yeah. there is there may be greatness too. But well, I don't a, think that Willie Mays has been slighted. I think he's got just as much praise and kudos and honors as any of the no, older ones. The point I'm ones. trying to make, though, and perhaps you have a comment about this, is that sometimes we underrate the time in which we live too, and well, some of the not artists Willie of our May. time. Certainly not Willie now I want to come back to not, uh, anything, you know. Not, 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 not the great ones. I don't think for one instant, like Stan the Man. I think he's. Or, or if, uh, could uh, you apply this to acting? For example, we say immediately we say John Barrymore. I'm sure oh, he was well, one of the he, greatest. Oh, well, I was the Barrymores of my pets, of course. I was the. Uh, but I mean, young girl when I first don't we up, have, wonderful to me. if not equally great... I think Laura Taylor was the greatest actress I ever saw. In what? In, 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 in anything. I was about to say Glassman, and, then I, and I want to change... Anything. In anything, yeah. The only time I saw her was as Amanda. Well, I movie. saw her when I was but, 16, and I've never seen... But she could do anything. Well, she had magic. She had a quality that yeah. was really uh, 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 so wonderful. No method and no anything planned or plotted out. It was all. Tell us about that. Thinking, well, I wouldn't know how to tell it. It's just no, describing the Russo's voice. There's certain people on Rajinsky dancing. Yeah. I unfortunately never saw him dance, but it comes a lifetime. I mean, a certain quality that is, that, that is indescribable, and it's within that person. It's like a gift of God. It's something very rare and very special. Now, I think Fred Astaire has it. I think that he's an extraordinary when he moves. Uh, 
I think he does are, are quite, quite wonderful, you know. Now, of course, he studies and he practices and things like that. And there are other very fine dancers, but there's just, just that extra special something that he had, like Louis Armstrong. Oh, we could go on. I mean, the giants, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Is this yeah. missing today? Well, yeah. we're not missing today. We've got William Hayes, Louis Armstrong, yeah. and Fred Astaire. Okay. We're not missing. And then you've answered And it. someone's going to come up and, and have it in their own way, not like Well, them. I want to come back to you, then. You said something here, not like the method. Not only to go into that now, but I want the matter of... You had no training, and no. bang, it was Maybe there. that's my trouble. <laughs> no, no, was it all intuitive? <coughs> or, uh, well, I think it still is. I, to this day, don't know what they mean when they speak of my technique, because I wasn't aware at any time in my career when suddenly I acquired technique. But obviously, technique means experience. But actors, as what I say in my book, The Shell Game of the Arts, I quote Percy Hammond, because we don't have to always be in practice. Now, a dancer has to be in training all the time. If she has, or he has a holiday, for two or three months or more, whether it be enforced because they can't get a job or whether they're taking it, they still have to two or three hours a day limber up and use the bars and use the, you know, and keep yes. themselves in trim. Or, or opera singer particularly, they have to learn the languages and they have to, to be very careful. But acting, you can just pick it up where you left off. You know what I mean? You have to try and keep in trim as far as your appearance and your figure and things like that if you're playing certain kinds of parts, but you don't have to once you leave the theater that's gone until you come back to it the next day or the next year, for that matter, you know? Well, because as a phrase, as a baseball phrase, and I guess it applies to you as a, as a performer, you're a natural. That's Thank the thing. you. That <laughs> uh, uh, probably is the answer to it. Now, I know you have, uh, there's so many th more things. We've been talking here for a long time. I know. you on the air I want to ask you. Oh, we can go <laughs> can on. You can you stay on for days, oh, you mean? Oh, of course. I mean, <laughs> it depends upon the Well, that's wonderful, because I've given interviews to the papers, and truth, no fault of their own. One talked for a long time, and then suddenly, just a few things out of context, and think, oh my goodness, that doesn't sound the way I meant it at all. Oh so no, this will be. I can't blame you for misquoting me, no, can I? At <laughs> uh, uh, Lola, as we're talking now, this is the way it will be heard on the air. There is no editing. Oh. Just you and I were talking now. Well, to get we're talking quite a lot together. Sometimes they won't be able to understand a word we're saying. Well, of course they will. <laughs> you see, I, I I know that you have a. Uh, performance tonight, and it's a very arduous role that you play as Harriet Craig. Skin of our teeth is one of the things I want to read here in the Thornton Wilder allegory. That, that, uh, here oh, again. he loathed that word allegory, you know. Yeah, he, I don't know well, that was, remember that was a word you used in, in the yeah. Light Up the Sky, yeah. too, an allegory. Of course, it flopped, you know. But still. But uh, uh, I got the Critics Award for that, and really? that same year in, in, uh, in Lifeboat I did, so I was quite uh, pleased about that. Oh, I think that was a great play, but that had more people loathing it as many people as liking it, you know? A lot of people walked out at the end of the first Well, people walk out of every play, I'm told, but I mean, that uh, that was a lot of exaggeration about that because it got very mixed notices, and it was kind of the thing that we had seven to six standees every performance, and it was a smash hit because people felt they were out of the dinner conversation unless they'd seen the play and could discuss it. There was one rather lardy dog girl who came to see it, you know, one of those fantastic <laughs> type of people, you know. And... Uh, uh, she had heard all this. You know, I stepped out of character in the play, and I'd say, I don't understand one word of this play. The author hasn't made up his mind, but the play takes place in New Jersey of the Stone Age, you know. <laughs> and I was scared of the audience to death. They'd really think, uh, one, even a producer said, I hear Miss Bankhead refused to go on for the play last night. Well, these were all Thornton Wilder's lines, you know. <coughs> I'm sorry to keep coughing like this, darling. I'm not dying. Of, I'm not Camille. It's just a cigarette, <laughs> the audience will understand. And... Uh, that's another thing that rather... You uh, did Camille once. That's another thing that kills me and Craig's wife. Way. I can't smoke on the yeah. stage because she... Yes, I did Camille in London. Uh, but uh, so this girl coming out, and uh, this uh, friend of mine was at the back, Richard Maney, who was the press agent for the play. Yeah. And a wonderful man, by the way. Very you good. probably know him, of course. I of him. And he heard this girl say to her uh, uh, escort, Well, I quite agree with Miss Bankhead, my dear. I don't understand one word of the play, do you? And so he said, Well, yes, uh, I think I do. Which is, oh, really? Well, what is it all about? And he said, well, it's about the human race. She said, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, did I blast the microphone? No, no. no. <laughs> I think what you just uh, said is, is so pertinent, you know, about some people have walked out. Don't you feel that when people come to a play, they should give something to an audience? Ruth Draper once said something beautifully. Oh, she and, was a, a beautiful performer. It was a very, it was a thrill for me. It was during her last visit to Chicago, and she said something about the audience, that audience must give too. That she banks on the audience. Oh, of course, yeah. that's your, that's your, like, it, they, they, if you notice an audience, I'm told, I, that when you are taking a bow, for instance, that the audience says, subconsciously, when they're applauding you, they're bowing with you, they're kind of seeing your smile, and they're smiling back at you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, 
uh, I, as an actress, if I go to a theater, I can't possibly because I think it'd be unethical and discourteous, and they, one knows that there's uh, someone that's in the profession in the audience that gets back to the company. And, uh, uh, but I can understand people leaving a play, either, I mean, apart from being ill or something happening. And I always used to say for doctors, they always page in the middle of a play, you know, <laughs> they never get to see anything through. But, um, That's why so many are so narrow, uh, you know. I, I, after all, we're supposed to please them there. If they come in and they don't like it, they have, they, they've paid. They have no, they're under no obligation to, to sit through it if they don't want to. And I think often you can, you can like something and get, get tired or, or, or be uncomfortable or rested. I have sometimes the most awful experience in the theater. I get someone in front of me with a hat on, and I say, I beg your pardon, madam, would you be very kind and take your hat off? And, she, and then she takes her hat off and her hair flies up to there, and I have to put, ask her to put her hat back on, you know? <laughs> And I think <laughs> they say that everybody nowadays <laughs> are so used to, uh, and they often complain about me and other actors that, one, that they don't hear one so well or something. My, you know, you can hear my voice in left field with an unfavorable wind because I can. <laughs> but people nowadays, and I've had, told, been told this by a lot of uh, people, doctors of uh, medical profession, I, I don't want to use that word psychiatrist because I haven't got to one yet, and they say that the public is so used now to turning up the knob of a radio or TV and fixing it exactly the way to the sound that they, that's comfortable for them. Also, they see these big close-ups where they, and on the stage you're one perspective and you're far away and, and different, and, you, and your voice is, it just has to be the way it is, you know? And that the great, many of the, of the, of the uh, theater-going public, or any going public of whatever they go out to see, has a slight defective hearing, is not aware of it. Like some people are nearsighted and don't really realize it because they seem to think they see all right. And therefore, sometimes it's the actor's fault, sometimes it's a, an acoustical problem, and sometimes it is uh, it's the person, it's the listener himself or herself that has a, uh, uh, she is all right, Aren't it's not deaf, but I mean it has a slight defective hearing. And then sometimes you get all three yeah. of those in one person, and then you're in trouble. Well, aren't you hitting uh, one of the sicknesses, maybe, of our days? And that's everything is fed to us without our lifting a finger, whether it's TV, everything is fed to us, and we're spectators, and we get everything without any effort, whereas in theater, you give a little, you know? Well, I can't complain of that, because I'm one of those spectators myself, so well, I have we to all are, but that, it, you know? isn't, isn't the machine... Well, this is something else. I was going to say, isn't No, but I know that I've had... Taken uh, us uh, over, um, I've had uh, people that... They've had the, radio, the TV on, and uh, very, very likely, and I don't know how they've heard a word of it, and they said they could understand it. Now, I, I think I, I have perfectly good hearing, at least my knowledge I have, and yet people have different, you know, yeah. and, uh, uh, but I, I think uh, the TV and, and radio, I love radio, because you can read by it and hear the music, you know. Uh, it is, it does make one kind of lazy, don't you think so? Yeah, well, that's... You know, by the time you get out and dinner and, and, and uh, you know, it's a kind well, of... Well, everything, the, uh, I'm, I don't, this is, I'm, I'm asking you, I, I don't want to talk, but I, I talk every day. Well, I have to go out to make but my living. I mean, I when I go to the theater, I go for, 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 like, you come here to interview yes. me, it's part of your job. I want to ask one, perhaps one more, and then you perhaps have a chance to take a little nap or something or, or eat before your performance. Well, uh, the early, you, you bang around the stage when you came from... Alabama to Washington, and you were, there you were. Then England, you were in England for a while there. Now eight years I was in England. Eight years there, you were in Michael Ireland, you were in Green Hat, yeah. you were in Camille, and, uh, wh and how, how did this happen? I'm curious. Well, how did you? Well, didn't you read my book, darling? No, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, well, it was I'm on the top of the bestseller uh, for six I know, months, I'll the have very to, I'll have top, to catch you have up to on get these. it. Um, well, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, I couldn't go into that, darling. It would be another hour, and yeah, I really, I, I don't think, I've got the, the stamina, and I'm sure the audience uh, would probably exhausted no, by now, too. No, on the contrary, too. but one, one thing, is the English audience a little different in reacting well, to the I, play I, the American I can't, audience? Well, I can't yeah. judge in a way, because at one time I, could, I couldn't say whether I thought yeah. there was a difference, because I never played the same play yes. in both countries. Uh -huh. But I did in summer theaters quite a few years ago, did Her Cardboard Lover, which I'd done in London with Leslie Howard, which was a great success over there. I was, I'm a success in every country. It's one of those... Uh, Leslie did it with Dean Eagles over here, who was also a very great actress. I thought, you know, she created Rain, which I, I also did, Thompson, too. Yes. I did the news that wanted over there, a Pulitzer Prize play that Colin Lord did, and... Uh, uh, was she and so when I played this in... Uh, what? You did, you did Amy. Yes, yes. Yes, in, and they knew they wanted. Yes. That's rather lucky, you see. I did these plays that was done over here that, that had been... They were all set. They'd been hits in America. Of course, I didn't see them. I created the part from my own point of view. You should I have been a marvelous Amy in America. Very good Amy. Well, that's the first character part I played, because that is so different from the green hat, you can imagine, you know, and, uh, and the ladies' comedian. But then I played a cardboard love in the summer theaters, and I did find that we had to jazz it up, as they say, a bit. 
because it was a, a comedy, farce comedy, and uh, we had to do, and we played it in England at the time more, more as high comedy. And when I did it in America after after quite a few years reviving it, we had to make it more of a farce. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was dated from that point of view, and so but the audiences loved it both places. It was a, a very amusing idea. All all comedy just one idea, and you have to you play on that theme, you know. But I think that um, unless they're plays that are very much the locale, depending upon the regional thing, like, uh, uh, say, they knew what they wanted was regional from, from the English point of view, because we played there before talkies even came in. They had to have a glossary, as they called them, mm-hmm. theater, like, say, when um, Broadway played there. And yeah. is that so? Because it has they Broadway had, well, idiom, Broadway slang and everything. Well, not they the knew what they wanted, but that was about the American, the typical uh, American people that are of the... Uh, yeah, in California. Uh, California and... Uh, and uh, a different class of people, you know, but uh, in Broadway, for instance, when they say, uh, which I saw in England, you know, the, the, the Charlie MacArthur Ben Heck play, they wrote that, didn't they? No, not Broadway. They didn't write Broadway. Front page. Uh, front page. No, front Broadway page was, uh, forget who wrote that, but it wasn't MacArthur. I know, well, Ted, yeah, Jed Harris produced the They wrote yeah, front page yeah, in 20th yeah. century. No, but for instance, when they said this dancer, when they said, uh, said about something about the Sullivan Act, and he said, oh, where's yeah. he playing? That's well, right. of course, that didn't. <laughs> That didn't mean a thing yeah, to an English to audience because they didn't know the Southern Act was carrying a now gun. Now you come to the matter of a certain phrase that means yeah. something in one country, not in another. Of course, that was, a, that was a, a, a theatrical inside joke anyway, but to England yeah. it didn't mean anything because it was a double thing they had to get, you know. But uh, I think there have been many plays that have been successful in both places. You take Lonsdale's plays were very successful in, in, uh, in America as well as they yeah. were in, in, in England, and so were Mom's and uh, Shaw, certainly. Well, where does he... There's a great upsurge of Shakespeare now, I think, more than any time in the history of the world. I, I don't no. know if you read that extraordinary article in Time magazine a few weeks yeah. ago. There's a marvelous beautiful. review by Henry Hughes, by the way, of Romeo and Juliet right uh, now. That article about Shakespeare. I met him the opening night of... of, of uh, he was a charming man. He wants me to do you know, a story so about my family. You marvelous an awful lot? The influence of Luna Vankhead on me, you know, right now. I'm using marvelous about 50 times, I know. The divine is my word. I know it's the wrong word, and I'm criticized for it. But it's, it's you know, you've been very kind and very generous with your time. Well, you're so I'm, sweet. That's I'm, easy. To I'm be going. There. I'm going to uh, call this to a halt. Clula Bankhead, thank you very much. Thank you, darling.